I experienced physical struggle from the time of my childhood. I was born with cystic fibrosis. Welcome to Connections with Rich and Bobby. Hi, I'm Rich, Rich Homeris. And I'm Bobby, Bobby Hamlin. We're continuing our visit with Kirk Legacy. Now, Kirk has been used mightily of the Lord to minister to a nomadic people that had no nation to call their own. They're the Kurdish people along the border of Turkey, Iraq, and Iran. But before embarking on his missions, Kirk was battling the dreadful disease cystic fibrosis lying in his hospital bed, not knowing if tomorrow on earth for him would ever come. At the age of 38, the doctors had given up on you. Uh, You want to share a little bit about that point uh, with your physical uh, situation? I think it was in the early 90s when my doctor uh, in Berlin said, uh, had you ever considered a transplant? And I thought, how horrible. I wouldn't ever do that. It was still a very preliminary stage. I think the first heart double lung transplant was done in the 80s, and uh, this was in the early 90s. So it was still a very risky procedure and with, with a high mortality rate. So I felt like I could breathe well enough to survive. I didn't want to even consider that. However, by the time I was 38, when I did face most certain death. I mean, I was on an IV all the time, getting antibiotics. I had a stomach tube to feed me. Um, I was on oxygen, obviously, six, seven, eight liters. We'd be in a wheelchair if we had to go anywhere. So I spent most of my time in bed, and death seemed pretty close. I was actually on the waiting list at that point for a transplant, and uh, it was Super Bowl Sunday when I received a heart double lung transplant, 1997. So you're saying heart and lungs? Yeah, they gave me the option to get a double lung transplant or a heart double lung. My heart was actually in good shape. So what they did was, was called a domino. They took my heart and I donated my heart. Wow. So another man received my heart and I received a heart double lung block. It's all together from a 41-year-old woman from Modesto. And they did it in about 11 hours of surgery. I bled 32 units of blood. Your body holds six units. So as fast as it was going in, it was coming out. And after 10 and a half hours of surgery, Dr. Bobby Robbins at Stanford said to my wife, I'm sorry, we're losing him. There's nothing else we can do. And my wife and my mom and some other women and men in the, from our church were there at Stanford, got on their knees in the waiting room and just prayed and asked Jesus for a miracle. About a half hour later, Dr. Robbins came out, and uh, he, he's an elder in a Presbyterian church at the time, and he said, uh, you know, my grandmother used to pray for miracles. He says, what just happened? He says, he's just been laying on the table there and the bleeding has stopped. So whatever clotting mechanism was defective was stopped. I was still a very, very sick guy. I mean, my lung cavities were so full of blood that they had to do uh, what's called a thoracotomy where they make an incision all along your ribs and your back and open up your side. They'd roll you over and do it on the other side. So I was cut up in three different places and Uh had six tubes coming out. 
to drain it all. That must have been something for this uh, medical doctor to see an actual miracle happened on his uh, surgery table and uh, for everyone else that was praying and praising the Lord. He was certainly delighted, but I was, like I said, a really sick boy. I was in the ICU for 31 days on a respirator. Much of that time I was awake, but of course you can't communicate, you can't eat, you can't turn your head, you know, you've got this tube down your throat. And the idea was to try to give my lungs time to heal so they could start functioning normally again. So after 31 days, they removed the tube, and I was breathing on my own, and shortly without oxygen. It was amazing. Now, hour after hour for 31 days seems like an eternity, must have seemed to you like an eternity. Um, What was your faith going through or your, your spiritual state at that time? Was the Lord keeping you strong and full of faith, or did you feel like at any moment you could go, or how did you get through that time? Uh, there was some of both. I remember one time when my, my head was so full of blood that it was just, there had been a blockage in my heart, and so my head was swelled up to be about the size of a basketball, and my lip was hanging down over my chin because there was so much fluid in my wow. face. So, I mean, it was it was grotesque, but I had the most enormous headache that you could imagine, all that pressure in my head. And I thought, surely I'm going to die. I went to sleep. I don't know whether they drugged me or whatever, but I went to sleep thinking I'm going to wake up in heaven. And I'm really looking forward to that because this pain is just so horrid. And I woke up in the hospital, and I was really disappointed. (laughs) My wife wasn't, but I was really disappointed. But doesn't that say something about your faith, that um, whatever our situation is, that if we're in the Lord, we know that... uh, the Lord takes us, then we're in paradise. As he said to that thief on the cross, this day you shall be with me in paradise. That uh, our attitude is with joy either way. If the Lord takes us, praise the Lord. If the Lord keeps us, then he has more work for me. That's right. That's right. And he had more work for me. I had two little girls to raise. They were ages five and seven. Um, And that's important work. And I also have a wife to take care of and sure. family. And, and after I, my transplant was completed and I was discharged, I realized, man, I can breathe better now than I have been able to in 25 years. Yeah. I had more energy and more strength than I did as a teenager because I wasn't fighting for oxygen all the time. Sure. You know, My lungs weren't blue anymore. I mean, my lips weren't blue anymore. So I went back to work. And back to work he went. As we're reminded in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And we'll return to our visit with Kirk in just a moment, so stay with us. You're listening to Connections with Rich and Bobby, and we'd love to connect with you. You can friend us on Facebook, post on Instagram, or tweet us on Twitter. Also, if you're enjoying this feature, we'd love to have you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or any of your favorite podcast platforms. 
You can also listen to us on a smart speaker by simply saying, Alexa, Siri, or Hey Google, play the podcast Connections with Rich and Bobby. Yes. Also, you can email us at connect to rich and Bobby at gmail.com. Now, let's return to our talk with Kirk Legacy as he explains how the Lord called him into the mission field to minister to the Kurds. Here you are, a little bit older than 20, <laughs> and you look very healthy, and I know you've lived a big life of service. How did that happen? Well, I was taking a class called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. And that class taught me that God had a plan for the whole world and a plan for my life. And I wanted to be involved in it. And I thought, I don't know how long I will have to live, but however long that is, I want to be engaged in that plan. And I learned about a people group called the Kurds. This was in 1987. And I I learned about the Kurds and I realized that here's a people that have no country. They have no uh, freedoms to speak of. Their culture is oppressed. They live in Iran, Iraq, Turkey. They're predominantly Muslims. And there is no church. There are a few Christians among them, but there is no church. And I wanted more than anything to be part of that process of bringing the gospel to the Kurds. But because I had cystic fibrosis and had to go to the hospital so frequently, I had to be someplace where they could treat that illness. I discovered there were a million Kurds living in Germany. Germany has obviously very good hospitals. So my wife and I moved to Berlin, West Berlin at the time, and uh, began learning Kurdish, learning German, and going to the hospital there. Wow. And was your wife also involved in this mission for the Kurds? Absolutely. She was learning Kurdish right along with me, uh, learning German. We would have Kurds in our home. We'd go in their homes, go to their weddings, go to their circumcision ceremonies, you name it, you know, just to engage with the people and become as much as we could one with them to understand them. How were you received? Here's this uh, American and his wife. They uh, come in. They want to learn the language. They want to uh, learn the culture. Do they uh, welcome you, or do they kind of look at you as kind of an outsider? Well, the Kurds have been so oppressed and so put down in each of the countries where they'd lived. And many of the ones who were in Germany were refugees. Some of them were guest workers. But they always felt like second-class citizens, whether they were in Turkey, Iran, Iraq, or Syria. And so to have an American who wants to learn their language was a great act of esteem. They felt valued. They felt like, here's somebody that really cares enough about us to learn our language. When we were traveling in eastern Turkey, I remember getting off the bus in this little village, and they were all Kurds. I didn't speak any Turkish. So the only language that I knew was Kurdish to engage with them. And we were mobbed. I mean, they had never seen a foreigner speak their language. Wow. And, of course, their language was illegal to speak in Turkey. But then again, I couldn't speak Turkish, so what was I to do, sure. you know? And, uh, but they were all Kurds, and they were just so excited that someone cared enough to learn. Was this kind of an open door for you to uh, be able to uh, not only befriend them, but also be a light that would shine amongst them? 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, St. Francis of Assisi said, you know, share the gospel continually, and if you have to, open your mouth. That's a paraphrase. But I felt that by our deeds, we were showing the love of Christ. And you have to earn the right to be heard. They have to want to know why you're doing what you're doing. So we went to serve. And we, we served first in the refugee camps in eastern Turkey in 1991 on the border with Iraq, like 50 yards from the border. Every day we would go into the refugee camp in Iraq and bring the people food or clothes or tents or build latrines for them or do whatever was needed. And thereby, you know, they, they would ask, why are you here? Why did you come all this way to help us? And I said, you know, there, there is a God that cares and a God that loves you. And, and their response was, how could God love us? This, uh, these terrible things could happen to us. And uh, we were able to sit and just tell them stories and share openly and, and pray with them. They were hurting. They were suffering. We sat in their tent and drank tea with them. A beautiful example of engaging firsthand as witnesses for Christ is described in Isaiah 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. And on our next podcast, we'll continue hearing from Kirk and his outreach to the Kurds. Also, Kirk Legacy has written a book telling of his story. He calls it Between Iraq and a Hard Place. And yes, that is talking about the country. Published by Christian Faith Publishers, and it's available online and at most book outlets. And if you're enjoying this feature, we'd love to have you subscribe to our podcast, Connections with Rich and Bobby. It would be so nice having you tune in regularly and invite others to listen as well. Yes. You can also listen to us on a smart speaker. You simply say, Alexa, Siri, or Hey Google, play the podcast, Connections with Rich and Bobby. Then you may join us on social media also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have any questions or comments, you may email us at connect to, that's the number two, Rich and Bobby, Bobby spelt with an I, at gmail.com. This is Connections, connecting with one another, as Romans 1 verse 12 says, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So thank you for listening, and remember, tell others and spread the word. And don't miss the rest of the story. Join us again next time on Connections with Rich and Bobby. Bobby.